Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Normally, I don't like to get into politics deep because it's all over the place. All day, all night, it's on television, on the radio, in the newspapers, etc. But there are some comments I want to make on happenings that occurred this week. So bear with me a little bit. It's going to be presidential politics. Some of the items I'm going to share with you, I do not think you are aware of. Uh, Some of the stuff is heavy, but let me share them with you uh, for whatever value they may be. Let's just talk generally about Trump and Clinton for a, a minute. I don't understand this locker room talk. I am 81 years old. I've been in a lot of locker rooms over the years, from one sport to another, okay? And I've never heard talk like this. Oh, guys will sometimes say, hey, did you see so-and-so? Boy, she's a knockout. Yeah, she's good-looking. But not to the extent this man went, where he's going to, all he has to do is kiss her. He can do anything he wants because he's a famous person. And you just grope him in the groin, and you got him. Uh, I'd probably lose my arm if I ever grabbed a woman in the groin. Uh, It's gutter talk. It's not locker room talk. It's an excuse he's making. And I'm sure that there are more tapes like this because he's insulted women all over the place for the last year and a half. Why would there only be one tape? I'm sure he is. You know, we live in a world where there are cameras and tapes today. You never know what's secret. There are going to be others. Let me say this, too, about Trump. And I mean this very sincerely. I have always suspected that men who talk about their sexual prowess And he does. You know, he's a coxman, excuse the way I put it, but that's what he is. He's a coxman, he thinks. Well, i got to tell you something. They either, and I apologize for the way I'm going to say this, there are ladies listening, either they can't get it up or they can't do it. They don't get it. In other words, they don't get the number of women they're claiming to get, or they can't get it up. They're failures either way. And I suspect this could very well be the case with Trump. You know, good look, all those good-looking women on his arm and all that bravado. Uh, but again, I say, you know what I said. Either he can't find women like this uh, to consummate with, or he can't do it. He's got a problem. Now let's talk about Bill, Cl- uh, Bill Clinton. He's yesterday's news. The man did wrong. He took his beating. Uh, his wife took her beating. She opted to preserve her marriage. It had to be hell. It had to be embarrassing. Uh, but... That's what she wanted. She did it. No one can argue. Trump's into his third wife. I mean, he's got, he's got bad things to talk about. He can't hold on to a wife, people can say. Or he goes from one woman to another. But I think it's wrong for Trump to have brought up Clinton's past ladies. Uh, I remember ooh, back in the days of McCarthy, 1960s, uh, 1950s, Everyone was a communist. Reds in government. Joe McCarthy was a senator, I think from Minnesota. I'm not sure from where, but he was a United States senator. He was head of a committee on un-American activities. And all of a sudden, everyone was a communist. And he knew there were 142 uh, people in the State Department that were communists. He knew that in Washington, that, I'm sorry, in Hollywood, there were actors and actresses and writers and directors 
who were communists. And he used to call these people in to testify before the whole nation on TV. Are you or have you ever been a communist? Well, this ruined reputations. This beat the hell out of the people. And I can recall one day he was beating the hell out of some witness. I don't recall who. The witness wasn't there very, very that much important. But he's beating the hell out of this witness, McCarthy. Joe Welch was a lawyer from Boston. A little old man, thin, wore a vest and a bow tie. Remember it distinctly. Graying hair, losing most of it on top. And when he was beating up this witness, Joe Welch stood up and said, Sir... Have you no shame? Have you no shame? And I say this to say, I say that to Trump. Has he no shame the way he gets into these things? Uh, look what he decided. He was going to bring Clinton's former women or people he had done things with, and he was going to put them in the family box right next to Clinton and, uh, to Clinton and uh, Chelsea. Fortunately, word got out, and the powers that be that run these. Uh, these debates said, no, you're not going to do that. Uh, this is crap. This is gutter garbage. This is sewer garbage. Anyone who votes for this man is crazy. You want him leading this country? He's got character. He's got morals. All right. Now, I want to say this, too. The presidency of the United States should not be decided on sex. Okay, we have real issues. We don't need to know who's screwing who or who did screw who. The issues are the economy, jobs, Russia, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Libya, the Supreme Court, and how many other things. Uh, I fear that the worst has not come through Trump yet. There is more to come in the next four weeks. Uh, I, I'm going to share with you... Uh, tonight, in a, in a few moments, a, a book that's coming out involving a friend of Bill Clinton's, a good friend, who is a convicted pedophile who served 13 months in federal prison for solicitation of a 12 or 13 year old girl to have sex. That book hit the stands yesterday. We'll get into that in a few moments. Then there's Hillary. Uh, I'm not trying to shame her or say anything wrong. But there's been a history, not a history, talk, people talking ever since she was first lady, that she was bisexual. Now, I have written about this this past year, and I've talked about it on this show several times. And I put it in my morning blog a few times. There was a book written two years ago by a woman who claimed she walked into a bedroom in the White House and saw, and I say this with all due respect again to the ladies, uh, Hillary orally copulating a woman uh, on the bed. Now, I don't even believe it, but it's in a book. And mark my words, between now and the end of the campaign, Trump's going to say, believe this? I really don't believe it. But it's in a book. And if it's in the book, I've got to mention it. I've got to talk about it, even if it may not be true. And that's how he's going to bring that up, okay? Uh, moving on here. Uh, Hillary's got some rich friends, <laughs> not just the ones she and Bill Clinton have, the, you know, the corporations that paid them 150, 250, 350, one instance, 550,000 to give speeches, the Rothschild family. Uh, you know what an oligarchy is? We all do now. We never heard of this word till the last couple of years. Uh, an oligarchy 
is the exercise of political power by a handful of corporations. Corporations with money are now ruling our country. We all know this. Well, in addition to corporations, it can be a family, an elite family that has money. And what these people do is they share their friendship and their money, big numbers, uh, with political candidates who then, when elected, become what we call their cronies. They do their bidding. Lynn Foster, D. Rothschild. Rothschild, big name in banking for a couple of hundred years. Uh, Lynn Foster, D. Rothschild, recently threw, listen to this, a $100,000 a plate fundraiser for Hillary. That's big money, $100,000 a plate. Uh, and she attended. She has personal friends over the years with Lynn Forrester. No question about that. The Rothschilds are so rich. <laughs> I'm laughing as I say this, because, <laughs> but it's true. They don't even appear in the Forbes listing of the 100 richest men in the world or the 500 richest men in the United States or something. They're so rich, they don't even get classified or listed. They are in numero uno position way ahead of everyone else, okay? It is said that they control assets, the family, in excess of $1 trillion. That's big money. I'm impressed. $1 trillion worldwide, okay? And they don't just buy people like corporations through lobbyists by our congressmen. They buy nations with that kind of money. All right. Now, uh, Hillary, she accepts money from, you know, 100000 a plate's big dough. The speech money's big money. I don't like Hillary, and I don't like Trump, but she's the better of two evils, and I honestly believe that this woman has the good judgment not to lean one way or the other. She's going to call him as she sees him. She may slip a little bit and move over to the money side on occasion, but we're going to be a hell of a lot better off with her than we are with Trump. I, w I mentioned the relationship of Bill Clinton. This is a tough thing I'm going to talk about because this is going to be in the news by the end of this week. It's already in the news a little bit today. Uh, it, it'll be big time by the end of the week. Uh, let's start this way. There is a fellow by the name of Jeffrey Epstein, multi-multi-billionaire, not even millionaire. He ran uh, he, an investing company, he may still run it, where he only took customers who could give him $1 billion to handle, $1 billion to invest for them, and they had to sign... Uh, a, what's, the, what's the document called? Um, oh, hell. Uh, they had to sign the, the, the legal paper that says all judgments would be made by Epstein and not the people who gave him the money to handle. A power of attorney, I'm sorry. Okay, having said all that, Epstein is a convicted pedophile. He served 13 months in a federal jail for tra child prostitution. I told you he's extremely rich. He's also a philanthropist. He gives big-time dollars to charities. He has a multimillion-dollar home in Palm Beach. He has homes in New York City and elsewhere all over the world. And he also has a property. It's not just a home. On Saint, Little St. James Island in the Caribbean. And it is claimed, it is claimed, it is claimed and has been claimed for many for several years and 
It's going to come out big in this book that on that island he has young girls, okay? By the way, Little James Island is also known and reported as Orgy Island. You know where I'm going. He has underage girls who he brings there, and he keeps them as sex slaves for the use not only of himself but his friends. And it's supposed to be a revolving door for the friends. This is terrible stuff. I'm only sharing it because the book's going to be out is out yesterday, and it's purported it's going to be a bestseller this week, starting already. Okay, 500 copies were printed for first printing. Uh, well, everything about Clinton that I'm going to tell you happened before his 2008 conviction for uh, child prostitution. Here, Epstein gave Clinton the use of his private jet. He's got his own 727 because he let Clinton use it to fly all over the world. For, to give speeches about AIDS and to, uh, for other charitable endeavors associated with the Clinton Foundations. There are, it's all, it is also said, and this number's thrown out all the time, that Clinton visited Little St. James Island 26 times, okay? But again, this is all before the conviction. It's also said, because fair is fair, <laughs> Trump has visited this island three times. And he's played golf many times uh, at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's place in Florida, with Epstein as his guest. Britain's Prince Andrew, you read about this last year or the year before. He went there for a few days to this little island. A book has been published, a major publishing house. The author is James Patterson. Patterson is a well-known author, respected novelist. Uh, been on the New York Times bestseller list more than one time. Uh, the book is titled, and I quote, Filthy Rich, colon, a powerful billionaire, the sex scandal that undid him, and all the justice money can buy, quote, unquote. Uh, it's the book about Epstein and what happened to him. Clinton's mentioned therein. The initial printing was 500 uh, copies that went on sale yesterday. They don't print 500,000 copies unless they believe they've got a bestseller uh, coming out. Uh, And you'll read more about it this week and hear excerpts from it this week as things go on. Because Now, I don't know if Trump's going to use it. Trump's got a dirty finger here. He went to this island, too, and he's played golf with this guy and had him as his guest at uh, Mar-a-Lago. So... Let's see what happens. But that's there waiting to come out. I'm done with politics for tonight. I apologize for spending so much time. I doubt that you were aware of everything I've shared with you. And I think all these things have to come out because I believe everything I told you is going to come out in the next three to four weeks. Okay, I want to talk about opium. I wrote a lengthy column two years ago in Conk Life, major article on opium growth in at. Afghanistan, opium growth in, in Afghanistan. I said at the time that the opium growing in Afghanistan, it was at an all-time high. Well, it just got announced this week again that opium growth is at another all-time high in Afghanistan, okay? Understand that opium is used to make heroin. We are in a heroin epidemic in this country, how, do you know people? I know several people who have lost children, brothers, sisters, who became heroin addicts. 
Uh, it's, and anything you read on heroin today, heroin today in the United States, it's the top drug problem we have. Afghanistan, they're big into this stuff. They supply 90% of the world's, not the United States', the world's heroin, okay? Opium, which is what they grow, the poppy, opium poppies, the flower, and make heroin out of it. Production increased dramatically beginning in 2001 with the United States occupation of Afghanistan. Let me say that again. Production went up big time when we, the United States, okay, occupied Afghanistan in 2001. And what's happened from 2001 to 2016, we have closed our eyes in this country. The United States has closed its eyes, turned a blind eye to the opium that's being grown over there, which services our people, our kids, and our addicts on the streets of our country. The thrust of the column I wrote two years ago and the thrust of what I want to share with you tonight is this. There's been a war in Afghanistan, big-time war, still shooting. And do you know something? Not one poppy field, one opium field has been troubled or destroyed or touched by the war in Afghanistan. Not one poppy seed has been lost because of the war in Afghanistan. The biggest employer of people, Afghan people, are the warlords who operate these poppy fields. The people work and get great wages. That No unemployment if you work in the poppy fields. You and your family stay there forever working. It's wonderful. You got a house. You're making money. And everybody's happy. And the wars never killed the workers, never disrupted a warlord, overthrew him, and never touched one of the poppy fields. Which makes me think, are we protecting the operation of the poppy fields? I mean, the war blew everything up over there, but the poppy fields never got disturbed. Think about it. Babies. I'm going to stay with drugs for a minute. This is this is horrible. This is I found this very horrible. Uh, The number of babies, babies born in the United States, addicted, addicted to opiates, is growing at an alarming rate. All right, basically, here's the situation. Uh, Babies are born. The mother was a drug addict during the course of the pregnancy, generally heroin or crack. And, you know, most mothers don't drink or smoke when they're pregnant. These ladies, they're, you know, they're hooked. And they do their heroin, they do their crack, and the baby's born addicted. It's called neonatal uh, neonatal subsistence syndrome. And so when the baby comes off, the baby's a crack addict or a heroin addict. Now the baby has to go through withdrawal, okay? Withdrawal. And it takes several days following the birth for the baby to withdraw. Obviously, they're not going to give the baby any heroin or crack to keep the baby going. So in the meantime, the baby is suffering, a medically established fact, going through gross pain and suffering. The baby's given some morphine in reduced amounts to diminish the pain from the heroin or the crack. 
the reports say that these babies nonstop cry. They do not stop crying from the time they're born until several, day, several days later when they are clean. They cry constantly, 24 hours a day. Now, this is terrible. This whole thing's terrible. The University of Kentucky did a study, and they said, it's a recent study, that uh, babies born addicted to opiates have doubled since 2008. Listen to the numbers for a moment. 2.8 babies per 1,000 births, okay, in 2008. 2.8 had addiction. In 2013, 7.3, it went from 2.8 to 7.3 cases of babies per 1,000 being addicted. That doesn't sound like a lot, but when you translate 7.3 per 1,000, 7.3 babies per 1,000 equals 27,315 babies. Can you believe that? 27,315 babies born in 2013 addicted to heroin or crack. We're a sick society in many respects. Uh, we're trying to take care of these kids, and we should. Uh, we shouldn't beat their mothers on the head to begin with. Uh, but now there are people that are complaining about this, by the way, especially in Congress. Uh, I, but they, they don't want to solve the problem the right way. They're, they're saying there's an increase in Medicaid costs associated with having that number of cracked babies born of $20 million a year. And we got congressmen, believe it or not, talking about doing something, tying the woman's tubes or something like this, just like Hitler did in Germany. You know, he took the mental defectives. He took the disabled. Uh, and he uh, did what was ever necessary to make sure they did not reproduce. And now we got some nutty congressmen that want to do the same thing. It may be cor correct, but it isn't. We know that. But we have a problem here, and we're not confronting it. We're not even confronting the heroin problem. This is my problem that I just told you about in Afghanistan. We're, we're in that country. The, the war never touched the, the, the poppy fields. And... 90% of the world is serviced by these poppy fields. And our biggest problem today on the streets of America is heroin addiction. want to talk about pharmaceutical houses. Big Pharma, we call it Big Pharma. Banks are not our friends. We know that. You know, ever since 2008, if you didn't know, you, got, you must be convinced. Pharmaceutical houses, the people who make the drugs we take, they're not our friends either. They're there to screw the hell out of you making big dollars. They're no different than any other corporation. They're in business to make multi-big dollars. The bottom line's the only thing important. We all need, at some point in our lives, pharmaceutical drugs. I take 11 pills a day. Some are taken in the morning and at night, but it comes to 11 pills a day. And they're all uh, drug-ordered because I have several heart problems and I need it. They, they take good care of me. These are expensive drugs. <laughs> I have insurance for it. I buy insurance. But the no insurance pays 100 cents on the dollar, so I'm always paying a copay, which in some instances is lousy. It comes to 40 or $43 on a pill. Sometimes it's only $3. Uh, but then I hit, and I won't explain it, but those of you who have had experience because of your age, I hit the donut. And I'm in trouble for six months in the donut, big dollars. All right, putting all that aside, uh, 
the reason the pharmaceutical houses get away with this, that they're charging so much, is they control our congressmen just like other major corporations. They have some of the best lobbyists in the country. They tell, they dictate, they, because the money's so good that's flowing through Congress, they dictate. They dictate uh, what these congressmen are going to vote for or against regarding uh, pharmaceutical drugs. And every president we have signs these bills. Because it's always a line in there that screws the American public. It's the one line that takes away protection against the pharmacy houses. Now, two things you should know, and that's why I'm talking about Big Pharma tonight. Two things you should know about the pharmaceutical houses. One, they're not a part of Medicare. Because when the law was passed and the law has been amended uh, dealing with Medicare, Pharmaceutical companies were left out. There are lobbyists. There, there, there's, not a, there's articles on this. How effective, how good their lobbyists were in keeping the congressmen in line to keep drugs out of Medicare. And the importance of all this is Medicare is cheap. I am on Medicare. I have a supplemental that covers the 20% it doesn't pay. But I think Medicare is terrific. I think the whole country should be on Medicare. Forget about the Obama plan. It should have been a one-payer system, and that's just like Medicare. Well, the government negotiates doctor and hospital prices because Medicare permits it. The government cannot negotiate drug prices because Medicare does not. So that's one of the problems. We've got to get it into Medicare, and it's going to be a battle. The other thing is, People can't afford these drugs sometimes. They don't even have a drug uh, thing, uh, program. And so what's their relief? I was talking to a woman the other day, and she came down with a certain type of, she's got some kind of an inflammation uh, that can only be treated, it's rare, can only be treated by drugs costing $2,500 a month. $2,500 a month. It would break her and her husband's backs financially. We don't have that kind of money. We'd have to sell our house, et cetera, to keep going. So what does she do? She goes to Canada. She buys her drugs through Canada. It's against the law. The pharmacy house uh, I'm sorry, the pharmaceutical houses went to Congress, they're lobbyists, and they got Congress to say it's against the law for us to buy drugs in the outside the United States. And we all know very cheap in Canada to buy drugs, very cheap. Well, there were some exceptions in the law that permitted some Americans for certain reasons to buy drugs through Canada. Big Pharma saw they were going to lose money. So what do they do? And this is called the Shadow Regulation Network. Sounds like the shadow of old. The Shadow Regulation Network. The big pharmaceutical houses say, we're going to lose some business here. So what they did, they go out and form subsidiary companies that sell Canadian drugs at a much cheaper uh, price than they sell them directly in the United States so they wouldn't lose the small profit involved, okay? Interesting, isn't it? Uh, We... We, 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 we need to get reduced prices, and the only way we're going to do it is to take care of the Medicare situation, and uh, let's start getting a hold on the pharmaceutical houses. You never hear this in the campaign. This is an issue. 
the cost of drugs that Trump and Hillary should be talking about. Perhaps they would have gotten to it were it not for this Trump-type campaign, and that's an issue that should be discussed. Very quickly, this is the last issue I'm going to share with you tonight, last topic. You know, body cameras, the last two or three years, because of all these shootings, every, every police officer's got to have a body camera. You know who don't have body cameras? The New York City Police Department. Not one body camera. There was a federal case three years ago on stop and frisk, and the judge says, you got to use body cameras from now on, okay? So the city of New York signed a $6.4 million contract, for body cameras, not one, not one has been delivered yet, not because the manufacturer can't get them out, but the city's always finding a reason not to take delivery yet. Something stinks here, okay? And I would suspect it's the police union, the PBA. They are very strong in New York City, properly so to represent their members, but in this regard, it's wrong. The biggest city in this country should be using body cameras. That's the show for this week. I thank you once again for joining me. Come back again next week. Uh, the show is archived, as you know, on Black Talk Radio, YouTube, and linked to Key West Lou, my Key West Lou website. I do a blog every morning after 11 o'clock, and it's my life in Key West. You can find it under keywestlou.com. I talk a little bit about this stuff, but I mostly talk about how we live in Key West, the pleasure, enjoyment of the sun, the restaurants, the bars, the parties, etc. Read it a couple of days. You may enjoy it. Uh, thank you again for joining me. I will be with you again next week. <laughs>